Welcome to Killer Women with your host, best-selling author, Danielle Girard. And now, Danielle's next killer woman. Welcome to Killer Women Podcast, a proud member of the Authors on the Air Global Network with more than 4 million listeners. I am your host, suspense author Danielle Girard, and my guest today is Andrea Bartz. Andrea is a Brooklyn-based journalist and the New York Times bestselling author of We Were Never Here, The Lost Night and The Herd. Her work has appeared in the Wall Street Journal, Marie Claire, Vogue, Cosmopolitan, Women's Health, Martha Stewart Living, Red Book L, and many other outlets. And she's held editorial positions at Glamour, Psychology Today, and Self, among other publications. Wow. Welcome, Andrea. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Well, I devoured the spare room. So before we get into all the nitty gritty questions I have to ask about how you wrote this book, tell our listeners about this latest book. Absolutely. So the shortest version is that in the spare room, um, a down on her luck woman moves in with this enchanting couple that ends up opening up their marriage for her. And at first she loves being part of this kind of sexy new world. But when she discovers that they've done all this before and their last lover is missing, she starts to wonder if they're actually dangerous and if she's next. So it's uh, sexy, it's suspenseful, it's twisty, it's queer, and I hope people love it. It's all of those things. And one of the things I love most about an Andrea Bart's book is that you catch me in my own assumptions. So no spoilers here, but you're wonderful at turning like my expectations right on the end and the spare room is no different. So thank you for doing that because it makes me think, oh, girlfriend, you should never make assumptions. Um, and I love that. So tell us, can you think about, remember, I know now, by now you're, ready to publish, you know, you've got the next book in edits, probably, and you're writing a next book. We all know how that goes. But can, can you remember where the seed for the story came from? Yeah, absolutely. This is kind of my first personal, my most personal book yet, because I, early on in the pandemic, this book is set in the pandemic. That's kind of why this woman needs to, you know, jump out of her life and, and uh, accepts an invitation to move into the spare room of this, you know, remote Virginia mansion with this couple. I myself early in the pandemic was living in my studio apartment with just me and my cat and I was going bananas and I kind of rekindled a friendship with somebody I had gone to high school with and we just you know we're chatting all the time you remember those early days where you were just talking to random people and you know passing the time in odd ways and I was complaining to her about being so trapped. And she finally said, like, you should just come stay with us, uh, with her, her husband and their, their toddler. She was like, we've got a spare room. We've got lots of space. We've got a pool. Like, just come for as long as you want. So I packed up my cat and I got on the Amtrak, you know, three masks on my face. And I went down for what I thought would be a few weeks. And I ended up staying for about four and a half months. And in that time, you know, and I really became a part of their family. Obviously, there was no, there was no triad or thruple. There was no, you know, murder and dead bodies and missing people. But I really did become intimate with this family in a way that kind of felt unprecedented as an adult, right? And also during that time, I was still seeing my therapist over this weird video thing called Zoom. And I was kind of crying to her 
that summer saying, I really didn't think that I, as a single person, was going to put mate seeking on hold in my mid 30s. You know, I thought this was sort of the period when that was going to come together. And she said, you know, you're 15 minutes outside of DC. And remember how that summer we were beginning to see each other a little bit outside and it felt a little safer. Things were opening up. She said, why don't you just go on some dates? Like if nothing else, it'll give us some fodder for therapy. And so I turned my apps back on and I thought, you know, this is, I'll, I'll put in my, I'll put in my profile that I'm still paying rent in New York. I don't live here, you know, kind of don't expect anything. And after a moment's hesitation, I, you know, the first question it asks is, I am interested in, and it's men, women, both. And I had wanted to put women before, but I hadn't. And I was sort of like, what the hell? I put, I put women as well. I went on one date in DC and it was with my now partner of almost three years, Julia. Mm. So I had this really interesting experience that I think is not totally unique of discovering this new part of myself, this new part of my identity pretty late in life within the sort of, you know, cocoon of lockdown. And I was free from other people's judgments. I was free from having to explain it to everyone. I was free from having to worry about what other people would think because I was so kind of isolated and cut off. So those two elements kind of came together to get me thinking about um, what would it look like for a character to, you know, discover this new dimension of herself during this really isolated time of lockdown? And also, how would lockdown affect how a scary incident would play out? You're so isolated when literally... Yeah. No one's going to knock on your door. You're not going to go to someone else's house to ask for help. We really were so cut off from one another. Yeah. And I just thought that would make for an interesting kind of, you know, claustrophobia and isolation and really closed door kind of gothic feel. So that was where the idea came from. I love that. I did not know that that, that Julia and, you know, your interest in women was a new thing because of course, since I've known you, you've been with Julia and um, that is, you know, that's, a, I actually got shivers because I'm like, what an inspirational story for people who are, fear. you know, there's a lot of fear. It's like you said, you know, there's a lot of fear about um, following your heart and feeling like, you know, you're, you've, you've identified yourself maybe some way when we were young and who, who even knows themselves when we're in high school and college, right? And all of a sudden you sort of took this risk and look at you now, that is what an incredible sort of you know, you really found your your place and your person and that's amazing. So, well, it is, um, yeah, I'm glad to hear there's there's no murder and I mean, throupling, I guess if it works with a toddler, <laughs> it's a little more complicated maybe, but um, I love that that's a really wonderful story. And it, it I think you're, you know, the, the we, I feel that in the book, I feel the sort of like um, the momentum of her decision-making alongside, you know, your, your sort of experience and, and learning about yourself. That's really cool. So you wrote about the pandemic. This is a conversation I know a lot of authors are having, right? About like setting books. Do we just ignore that it happened? Do we address it, you know, head right. on? Do we skip over it and pretend like, oh, the world is normal again? So you were writing about that it sounds like in the pandemic or towards the end of the pandemic. What was that like? Yeah. Is it is it hard? Um, did you did you worry about it? Because I think we're all pretending, trying to pretend as though maybe it never happened. What's right. your feeling on that? Right. Yeah, especially as we all started to sort of look around and go, oh, this isn't going to be just a two or three month thing or a two or three week thing like we thought. Like this might change things forever. And 
Uh, I remember joking with a friend, like, is every book from here on out going to be set in 2019? Like, we're just going to like have fiction stop at 2019. Totally. What's interesting is that when I first pitched this book to my editor, despite all of that personal backstory, I still, I still did not want the pandemic element. I just wanted this woman who she's, you know, in a new city with her fiance and her fiance is just called off the wedding and she's in a terrible situation. And that's why she goes to live with a friend. And it was my editor who pointed out, like, no, I really think like the reason that it's believable and it does it doesn't just stretch our, you know, limits of of belief is if it is in the pandemic and that unique situation. And she ended up being totally right. But I was worried because you'll remember this in 2020, every author and every reader was saying like, oh my God, I never want to read anything having to do with the pandemic. Everyone was saying, I see why there's no books set in the Spanish flu. I just want to move on and never think about this again. And now we're beginning to see those books that were written in this period. And a lot of them do address it. And, you know, for my book, I don't think of it as a pandemic thriller. The pandemic is not the sort of driving force in any way, but rather it's part of the backdrop. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I think logically it contributes to sort of that closed room, close knit, you know, from other people sensation. Absolutely. It was fun for me to, you know, bring in a few of those details of, you know, what was the experience like trying trying to go to a drugstore in summer 2020 and (sighs) What was it like to meet a new person and not see the lower half of their face for a while? Oh, and God, so right. this, Those little things that now sort of, you know, feel almost nostalgic and, and bizarre. But I didn't want to write a pandemic thriller. It's not about the pandemic. It's very much about the relationships yes. and, the you know, the plot and the intrigue right. and the twists and the sex. So my approach was, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to set it there. I never used the word COVID or coronavirus. No, I thought thought that was interesting. I was like, there was no, and nobody got COVID, which I think was like, that's what, you know, that's what we're thinking of because everybody got COVID during the pandemic, but right. It is not a pandemic book, but to your editor's point, I think it makes absolute sense Mm -hmm. that, you know, it's set, that that is the, the thing that propels Kelly out of New York City and in, right. you know, and into these people's homes. And um, I love that that is what you did, which I'll, I'm going to say is, I feel like it's really brave. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot about writing this book was a huge exercise in vulnerability and bravery. And, you know, it's always scary to put out a new book, but you asked before we started recording, like, oh, how are you feeling? And, and you know, I said, it's excited and terrified, especially for this one, because I wrote this character and I couldn't help it. I, I, I can't help but write characters whose journey I, you know, think about and believe in and whose character nice. change sort of feels important to me. But I write, wrote this character who went from at the beginning of the book, thinking she wants a husband, being con- totally convinced that she wants a husband and a McMansion, and a minivan, and 2.5 kids. And there is no question in her mind that that is what she wants. And then throughout the course of the book, she, and this isn't a spoiler, but she begins to recognize that like, maybe that's not coming from me. Maybe those were expectations that I sort of internalized from the world around me. And I need to sit still and be in this sort of still moment of isolation and time with my thoughts, which we again all had during lockdown. And really figure out, like, do I want that? Or did I just accept that that was what I was supposed to want? And, you know, 
then she discovers that she's bi, discovers that she's poly, begins to question, do I even want kids? And that sort of, you know, heteronormative dream. And I think it's really important to tell those stories because we don't see them in in fiction and pop culture too often, but also it is dangerous. It's subversive. And I'll be totally honest with you. Like the, the patriarchy is fighting back. There are reviews, professional reviews, reviews from Mm. readers that just hate the queerness in it, hate that there's this character um, pushing back against, you know, the, the sort of accepted narrative that's safe and that is, mm-hmm. um, you know, safe, safe for the patriarchy, I guess I should say, not really yeah. safe for women. And, you know, to give another example, uh, not too long ago, my friend Leah Conan, she's also a thriller author, and she wrote a great book that came out uh, in early 2023 called You Should Have Told Me. And it's about a woman I have that book. Yeah. Great. Yeah. She has like a six week old at home. She's miserable. She's deep into postpartum depression and her husband disappears. And that's how this thriller begins. And she just starts discovering, you know, some secrets about him and their relationship. But throughout, she is just this mom who's really struggling and admits to kind of the reader, maybe not the rest of the world, but to the reader and to herself that she doesn't, and she's not enjoying it. She's not loving every mother, every minute of being a mother. And I have to tell you, Danielle, the way that the book is terrific. And yet the way that reviewers just slashed that book apart, saying that the character was whiny. She complained so much that there was one that called that referred to the character's histrionics, which uh, is a very I sexist hate, and loaded term. I hate the word hysterical. I freaking, I, I, you know what? That sucks because I have to be honest, motherhood is a fucking loaded game. It is. I, I have two grown children. They're 23 and 21. I love them to death. I wouldn't trade them for the world, but there were days where I would have given them to the first stranger who walked past my house, just desperate for like four hours by myself. So and I don't, Absolutely. Know, I, it's like the Oprah conversation of working mothers versus stay-at-home mothers. And women, the patriarchy has a set up to bear our claws yes. at one another. If you don't do it this way, it's wrong. And that isn't, I mean, that is how we act towards one another. But I 100% think that is fed, seeded, fed, sowed by men. Because it's so much easier to keep us divided and to make it look to seem like there's only one way to do any of this. I hate that. I'm sorry. I'm going to pull that book out and I'm going to read it and promote the hell out of it because I do think, and in postpartum depression is a mental illness. You are not a sane person. You're not being whiny. No, it's not whiny. It's not hysterical. It's, it's a horrible, I mean, I have friends who've been there and it is, I'm, I mean, I had blues, but not like that. And you know, yeah. And damn it. That's, yeah, women are almost always in an untenable situation in all of these things. And I think you're absolutely right. And I I, I think we have to tell these stories. We have yes. to tell stories um, that are about the reality of being, you know, of being who we are. And, and, you know, I think it's not brave. I mean, it's brave, but that's not the important thing. It's honest. And mm-hmm. if, if we can't be honest as writers and we can't tell stories that are different from the ones that you know, Charles Dickens wrote and the, all the white guys wrote, then, you know, what are we even doing? Right. Then what are we doing? Exactly. I think it's, yeah, I think it's so important to, to be, like I said, vulnerable. And, you know, the fact that the fact that you have to be brave, to be honest, is that says more about culture than about, you know, the artist, I think. 
Absolutely. And that's why this show is really about women. I mean, I yeah. really, and I, and not that I don't love men and I, and male authors, like, obviously there's, but they get, they're okay. They're, they're doing just fine. So we don't need to worry that much about them. I don't think. Well, I, it's so interesting. So I, of course, um, you know, I live in Montana and so we have space and time. I and mean, when we had all, we had two grown children here, you know, as well as obviously my husband and I, and it was, that is another type of insanity, right? When you're, when everybody was in the yeah. same space and, but talk to me about, you know, about being in, in, you know, before you went, ended up going away, what, what, what was that like? How did you, besides, you know, talking on the phone, what was your sort of, what were your ways of maintaining sanity and connection yeah. in those periods? That's such an interesting question. I don't think anyone's asked me. And it actually reminds me of what you just said of the sort of working mom versus stay-at-home mom debate that's sort of falsely manufactured because I feel like there was this falsely manufactured debate that was like, parents have it worse. No, single people have it worse. No, parents have it worse. And it's like, why can't we just both was, agree that this is really hard in different ways? Yeah, And absolutely. we don't need to, you know, compare our struggles really in any way. Um, so I, yeah, I was alone in my studio, my building somehow petitioned to get construction to continue, even though construction was otherwise shut down. So they were tearing, jackhammering, tearing down our balconies to rebuild them while we literally couldn't leave. I was just absolutely losing my mind. I was in a wild fight with my, uh, you know, property manager and, I did a little bit of, you know, seeing, going for those like six feet across, six feet apart walks. Um, and those were, those were nice. And I had the zoom drinks with people and, you know, the, the happy hours of people living all over, but I just remember feeling so isolated. I went for long walks and I lived next to a, um, industrial park. So lovely. And I would go for long walks, listening to podcasts and just passing, you know, everything in an industrial park, the massive mounds of salt and the, you know, trucks and the buses all lined up. And it was just very spooky. And the amazing thing about the human mind is that I got used to it, same way we all did. And I remember having a Zoom with my therapist and she said, all right, well, who did you see in person this week? And I said, I thought about it. And I said, well, you know, I talked to this person, I called this person, I had a Zoom with this person, but I guess I didn't, I didn't actually meet anyone in person this week, but it's fine. I feel okay. I feel, I feel kind of like, a, you know, normal. And she was like, you know, the brain's really good at convincing you that things are fine, that are not actually fine because yeah. that's just our self-protective brains. So she's like, I really think you should go see someone. And that really struck me because I like, I, I like to think I'm pretty self-aware and yeah. I think about psychology a lot. You know, I, I studied psychology. I was an editor at psychology today and yet it hadn't occurred to me that that was what was going on, that I was right. sort of convincing myself I didn't need other people. And so that sort of became a theme eventually in the book too, where right. Um, it felt like a whole lot of work to figure out how to, you know, pack up my life and go for a bonkers open-ended trip to a suburb I'd never, a suburb of DC I had never been to with a friend I hadn't seen in person in many years. Right. But it was just like, this is an out. I think I, you know, looked into what would it take to drive to Wisconsin where my family's from? Yeah. What would happen if I tried to go stay with my uncle in another state? And it just sort of was the best option. Yeah. And ended up being, you know, fantastic and, and 
you know, life changing and a really great experience. But I think we all really either had so much time with our thoughts that we were losing it, like, like myself, those of us living alone, or we had no time with our thoughts because all of our kids were, you know, and our partner and everything else was at home in a tiny space, all trying to like continue on their lives virtually. So it's really hard in different ways for different people. Absolutely. Well, the other thing I love that you're talking about is the therapy, because another thing that, that a lot of us didn't do, and myself included, was to talk to somebody professionally about the struggles of that time in our lives. And, and I think God, like, I, you know, I'm in therapy now. I feel like everybody should be in therapy. Um, but yes. I do feel like that was, you know, that was my thing that was, and people really struggled to find therapists. You know, if yeah. you hadn't, if you weren't already in therapy or you didn't have a relationship, that was a really hard thing. And I think, you know, left to our own devices, like you said, and most of us are not even that self-aware. I mean, you come from a place of like a lot of experience and a lot of self-awareness. And I think as writers, maybe we have more self-awareness than yeah. than some, but, um, but I think we all could have, you know, we all sort of did a lot of damage to ourselves, each other, by not sort of also having ways to work through that isolation, whether you were in a gr- isolation in a house full of people or isolation by yourself. So, so hard. Absolutely. So. I mean, I so. think we haven't even begun as a as a nation, as a world to reckon with the mental health toll that the pandemic has had and will continue to have. But right. that's maybe another discussion. But I I'm know. very pro-therapy. <laughs> I know. Well, and I love that. I'm, I, I, you know, I am too. I just didn't realize that, you know, it's a weird thing. Like you're so wrapped up in like your present day and your your life and getting things done that you, you know, you don't even um, have time to to think about it. So so right. in addition to, you know, in addition to writing, you're also a journalist, right? So tell us about right. like how, that's a lot of writing. Like I always think, you know, if I had to have an, another job, which I'm grateful that at this moment I don't, but I would have to be something that didn't revolve around writing. So how is it to write two different types of things and how is it hard to shift and how do you sort of balance that? Yeah, I've always I've always joked that like I really don't have any skills other than writing. Like I have no other practical usable skills. So thank God that people pay me for it. Um, I started my career as a magazine editor. I studied magazine journalism, and then um, as you saw from my bio, I went on to to work in these different places. And I kept getting laid off because the magazines that I worked at kept folding. Uh, I did not join the industry at a particularly you know gangbuster time. So I, in between, would freelance write as I searched for a new job, and I kept sort of bouncing from magazine to magazine. And then at my last, what turned out to be my last full-time job, I really loved that team. I loved the magazine. And one day I, you know, came into work and learned that that magazine unfolded too, and that job had been taken away. And that was when I sort of announced to myself and to others, like, I want to work on something that... I love and I care about and that can't just be taken away from me one day, some like random Tuesday that I walk into work. So that was when I started working on my first manuscript, which became The Lost Night. So sort of the the balance of how much of my life is freelance versus how much of my life is book writing has shifted where at the beginning, the, the book writing was kind of a passion project. It was sort of like last on the priority list because I had, you know, deadlines, I had assignments, I had stuff I had to do. 
and pitching was, you know, I had to keep pitching and keep sort of feeding the, the freelance beast in order to live. Um, and then I sold my first book and then continued selling them. So sort of the balance shifted where, okay, I can say no to more freelance in order to work on the books more. Right. And now that, you know, I've become more established and this is my fourth book. Now books are the main thing and freelance is kind of has the position that, that books used to have, where it's sort of the, the minor thing on the side when I feel passionate about a story or you know, an op-ed or an essay I want to publish, then I'll go pitch it, but it's not sort of my main thing. Um, so, I mean, it is helpful in the sense that I can procrastinate on one thing by doing the other. Yeah. I think a lot of, I think a lot of authors kind of need that in some way. Like it's nice to have a productive outlet for when you right. really don't feel like working on your book right. or whatever right. assignment is sort of hanging over your shoulders. Um, and I think the journalism background is really helpful for me in terms of like meeting deadlines and sort of staying motivated and like breaking right. a, you know, breaking a project down into smaller steps. But yeah, there certainly are days that I'm just like, good Lord, I cannot put together more sentences. Like I wish that I could go, I wish my job were to like woodworking or something, Exactly. Have, you know, hobbies that are a little bit more in that I do. Right. I, I'm learning guitar. I like learned how to crochet. I like having I things it. that don't involve putting sentences together because it's, it's literally all I do. And sometimes I'm like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> it's a lot, right. It's a lot, lot, lot of words. So I want to ask, um, cause obviously, you know, um, we were never here it was a huge book for you. It was, you hit the times with that book. And also it was a Reese pick, which I think we all just think about that being that moment and what that must've been like. So I, I, I have to ask you to share that. Cause that is, I mean, that must've been just must've blown your mind. Can you tell us like how you found out and what that experience yeah. was like? Yeah, absolutely. It was completely still unbelievable and surreal to me. But the moment I found out, it was only a few months before We Were Never Here came out. And it seemed like We Were Never Here was going to not completely, you know, you get those early feelings and it seemed like it wasn't going to tank, but it also seemed like nothing, nothing special was going to happen. And, you know, that was fine. I was going to keep barreling on and writing my books. And then I got an email from my editor and the subject line was We Were Never Here. And I think we were never here update. And the body just said, do you have a minute to talk on the phone today? So being an author, of course, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, they're canceling the book. I'm going to have to like pay back the advance. Like my career totally. is over. I will be banned from writing for life. Um, and then, <laughs> you know, she couldn't talk to like the afternoon. Oh, so right. finally we get on the phone and she says, so, you know, Reese's book club. And I was like, yes, I know Reese's book club. And she said, well, your book is going to be the pick for August. And I screamed. Of course. And I said, oh my God. And I started crying a little. And um, she just kind of explained some of the logistics. Your pub date's going to change. We're going to, you know, some things are going to have to shift, but we'll have more calls about it. And I wanted to tell you right away. And she was like, don't tell, you know, she's like, don't tell anyone. You can tell your partner, you can maybe tell your parents, but don't tell anyone. It's really important. It doesn't get out. And, um, you know, then we hung up and I was just sort of like staring at right? like, what just happened. And I was right. in my office, which, which, and my office is just outside of the kitchen. So there's a door here that goes into the kitchen and my partner, Julia was in the kitchen, uh, doing something. So when I came out, she was like, what were you screaming about? Cause she couldn't hear it, but she could tell that I was, you know, <laughs> exclaiming. And I was like, 
Julia, my book is going to be the Reese's Book Club pick for August. I'm like, bless her. She's a data scientist. She goes, the what pick for what? <laughs> and you're like, always like, okay, this is great. This is actually good. This is a yeah. reminder that like, right. life is going to continue on. The partner loves me no matter what. Like, this is awesome. And also like, real life is still real life. So I explained it to her and she was sort of like, oh yeah, we're like legally blonde. I know, we okay. Like we kind of figured it out. She was like, congratulations. And had like no idea what it really meant, but was like, right. Um, so, so yeah, then I had this very bizarre, like month and a half, two months of having this, having this secret and just knowing, you know, that I was like on a roller coaster that was yeah. ticking its way up the hill. Um, and it was super it was like you said when you're writing you know you know when you're writing suspense when you're writing sort of commercial fiction about women it is the absolute dream and I still cannot believe that I pulled that lottery ticket I feel so lucky I mean I also think I worked really hard and wrote a great book of course and, yes yes and you I got it. super you lucky about the way that it you know hit and was received sure. and I just feel so blessed and every time that I felt sort of um, you know, imposter syndrome about it, or, you know, yeah, other people wrote great books too. And why this one, I had a friend say to me, like, well, why not you? Like, yes. you know, there's, there's, it's someone's gonna, it's gonna happen to someone. And you yeah. are a kind person who works hard and tries to uplift other voices. And absolutely. It's a great like, book. I like, that. I mean, you worked really hard. It's a great book. I think, um, yeah, I get I get all the things where you're like, oh, I don't know, maybe there was somebody who needed it more or whatever. But no, it's yours, and and you know, and that is it. What an incredible! I mean, that is really cool. And I do think she's an amazing woman. Um, I'm real. It's really? and her, you know, her shift from when she started Hello Sunshine. I remember, you know, that her husband at the time was like, "You love books, you love women," like you know, because she was at that age, right? That like you know, 40s where they were like, okay, now you get to play a grandma in Hollywood right, because right. you're you too old. hot lead anymore. Yeah, yeah you're totally. too old. Um, and so she sort of created her own future, which I, you know, I think is an incredible story. And I think that's amazing. Oh, I, I can imagine. Um, and I love it that Julia was like, what? Like, because <laughs> of course, like what you really want is the one person you get to tell to be like, I know exactly how this is. Bye. Yes. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's anyway that's so um that's so fabulous so unbelievable unbelievable incredible so tell us now what is next you know that's isn't that the worst question you're like I'm just launching this book and it I worked so hard on it and it's my baby and I'm so proud of it and then we're all like okay what, what is what are we going to get to read next from you so can you tell us though, yeah, a little bit no, about it such a question I am working on book five right now. I'm currently writing it. It's a little bit more of a return to form for me where um, the spare room was a bit of a departure, right? It was more domestic suspense than traditional thriller. It was a little more romantic and sexy and less about friendships. And um, it was very sort of, you know, claustrophobic and all within this little home. But my next book, it takes place in this very fun tropical setting. It's a little bit more, you know, murder mystery. So it's more of a return to form for me. I'm having a ton of fun writing it. And it's really hard to write because it's always really hard to write. Yeah. And um, yeah, that'll be coming out in 2025. So that's the next book that people can expect. And then in the meantime, I have some 
exciting news about the spare room that uh, hopefully can be shared soon. And though I am not personally involved, We Were Never Here is currently in development at Netflix. And from what I hear, it's kind of clicking along uh, and things are happening the way they need to. So uh, hopefully there'll be some exciting other that's uh, fabulous you know, yeah the andrea bart's universe is expanding as my mom put it <laughs> i love that i love it well that's incredible and given the writer's strike i'm glad to hear things are moving along because i know a lot of people are sort of in in a weird um strange you know pause right now well i can't yeah, wait to yeah hear- and we're not to be clear not a scab or anything but we were never here the script is apparently finished and polished and everything okay. so that's that's sort oh, of oh yeah why. to be clear no 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 yeah yeah, yeah exactly you're not <laughs> You're right. They're very fair. You're you're not going against the union. You are in support of yes. WGA, of course. I support the strike for sure. I, I know exactly. Me too. And it and I I think I don't know why the fiction writers haven't put together our own right. We need a writers guild. I love that idea. Right. We absolutely do. I mean, insurance. Can you imagine medical insurance through our organization? It would be incredible. So, um, well. It's, it's a dream. It's a, it's a, you know, it's something to, to work on next, but in the meantime, um, congratulations on the spare room on all of your incredible news. And thank you so much for talking to me today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Danielle. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Everybody, this has been Killer Women with Andrea Bartz. Don't miss the spare room. And if you haven't read her other books, The Lost Night, The Herd, what, uh, We Were Never Here. Did I miss one? That's it. (laughs) They're all wonderful. And she's amazing. As you can tell, have a wonderful day. And thanks for joining us. Bye. Thank you.